The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. Lauren and I joined here, as always. But we have a guest, ladies and gentlemen. We have someone joining us. Uh, it's been a little bit of a minute, actually, since someone has joined us on the podcast. We did some uh, playoff previews. But now we're here in the middle of the playoffs, maybe, if you would cla- – I don't know if you would necessarily classify this as middle. middle. Yeah, middle. Okay. All right, cool. Um, in the middle of the playoffs, talking, you know, NBA playoff basketball, going to talk about the Suns in a little bit, some of the all-NBA discussion that we've seen online, especially with that coming out. There was, I guess, a little bit of controversy. There always is. Uh, we have – you may know him on Twitter as, as KG's GOAT, which I need to ask you, by the way, about wh- why that is the, the Twitter handle – but this is Hoop Venue, uh, HV if you want, Tyler, whatever you want to call him. How you doing, man? Uh, appreciate you having me on. I'm doing well. Excited to be here and talk some playoff basketball because I feel like I love coming on podcast platforms uh, where I don't have to sit in front of a script and uh, yeah. just hash it out. Excited yeah, I feel here. you, man. I feel you. Listen, it is, it's very different than being, you know, got the prompter in front of you or whatever, yeah. trying to read something. It's, it's different. It's a different vibe. Um, overall, I guess, uh, I'll ask you which way you want to kind of head since you're the guest, right? Which way do you want to go in this discussion? We have a decent amount of things to tackle. Uh, what, what do you want to tackle first, man? Uh, I think it's fresh in the mind. We got to talk Phoenix Suns, right? Like mm-hmm. this is yeah. the last game. I mean, it's just, it's so wild to me that, and by the way, yeah, the Suns ended up getting eliminated 125 to 120, but it felt like it was so much more. Uh, they were down mm-hmm. by so much more throughout that game. It just felt like, uh, I, I tweeted this halfway through, but it felt like the Footprint Center was watching golf. Like, that's how quiet it was. And you hear these, like, little putts, you know, you, you yeah. little, little claps uh, whenever there's a Suns basket. It was depressing to watch, y'all. It really was depressing to watch. And Lauren, you and I have talked about this mm-hmm. with Phoenix and how we kind of knew that this year wasn't the year. Um, we feel vindicated in that take, <laughs> to be honest mm-hmm. with you. But also, how do you move forward now? Because there's so many questions. The new CBA, uh, they're very, very close to that second apron when it comes to Kevin Durant and Devin Booker being on the roster, plus DeAndre Ayton and Chris Paul. How do you move forward with this? What what do you think, Lauren? I mean, going into this playoffs, like you said, we mentioned that this wasn't we don't we didn't feel that this was the year. There were a couple, maybe one too many questions, and and it yeah. all seemed like we just glazed over this DeAndre Ayton uh situation and that plugging Kevin Durant was gonna just solve all problems because winning solves all problems. Um, but there were a lot of things missing. And in that game last night, we saw how much they were missing DeAndre Ayton with just the points in the paint and the dominance from from Denver. And so yeah. It's it kind of now presents this question that maybe I'll toss over to HV because I'm curious what issue do they tackle first? We have been talking about their depth and that just getting more guys and kind of building a more championship roster. But do they now is their is their biggest question now what to do with DeAndre Ayton and do you try to look around at some other guys might who might come available? Where where would you start if you were Phoenix? I think there's quite a few problems the Suns have to solve. I think it was evident. I think. 
the Nuggets like to troll a lot, and that game was <laughs> over in the second quarter. So yeah, that's that's alarming to me. And I, this is very random, but the first thing I thought about was, man, imagine if they had like an RJ Barrett in the opposite corner when the mm-hmm. ball because the Nuggets' entire defense was just let the Suns have a numbers advantage and the Suns couldn't do anything with it. So I think getting guys, not just that can shoot open threes, because a lot of people talk about spacing, but guys who can put the ball on the deck off the catch and actually be a threat to score in the paint. Because you have guys like Shamit and Terrence Ross who are putting the ball down and attacking, but they're not able to collapse the defense because they're not actual threats to really score at the rim against the rim protector. So I think... That's the first move I'd make is look to see if you can add some slashers who can actually uh, make plays in the paint. And also uh, with the DeAndre Ayton, I think they, to, to counter a hedge, I think they need a guy who can either be like just a great short role decision maker and, and co- counter the numbers advantage by making the right pass, which Ayton's done a little bit of, but it's not really his strength. No. And, yeah. and also, or, or just a guy who can shoot the three off of the pick and pop. Mm-hmm. And and a guy who can like because then that keeps the defense honest. You can't really put two on the ball if the guy's a forty percent shooter on the wing. And I yeah. think uh, that kind of leads me to believe like what Aiton was very close to signing with the Pacers. Miles mm-hmm. Turner is Miles Turner is pretty Indiana. ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean that's 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 where my mind's at right now. Yeah. So just to just to reiterate for everybody uh, at home, you mentioned the rim pressure issue, which is a huge issue. And by the way, like we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, but I've, I've written about it. I've talked about it in videos. Rim pressure is one of the most important aspects of playoff basketball, being able to put pressure on the rim, being, being able to command attention there. I mean, that was a main reason why Steph Curry and the Warriors won that Sacramento King game because in game seven, because they were able to apply pressure to the rim. They were able to make it very easy to have that dribble penetration, dribble penetration, driving kick scenarios that they like to create off of. Um, And just to kind of reiterate that, since February 1st, the Suns are dead last in rim, rim frequency. Dead last. They, they did not get to the rim at all. Um, and that's per cleaning the glass. So that, that's been a very consistent issue. And with Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, none of those guys are really going to solve that issue. Uh, D-Book was amazing in game three and four. I mean, he shot Shaq numbers from, from, <laughs> from the field and from the restricted area, which is just unheard of. And I mean, yes, that's something to look at. Maybe ways to get him going downhill more, make him more of a rim finisher. That's something you can look at. Maybe the next coach will emphasize attacking the rim a little bit more. I think that's another aspect of this. I think they're probably headed towards a coaching change with Monty Williams. Interesting, But I I, I honestly think they might clean the deck with almost everybody outside wow. of, outside of KD and book. I, I mean, you can't go two years in a row getting absolutely embarrassed like this on your home floor, home floor like that. Like that's just, it's tough to imagine. And uh, you mentioned Miles Turner. I think that's a great fit, but I now wonder like how much do the Pacers entertain that idea? You mm-hmm. know, and I, maybe that's crazy to say because Aiton, number one overall pick, he's shown some flashes. He obviously has the upside, but the the Pacers have committed to Turner. Mm-hmm. He is a guy who they're building with. He looked great with Tyrese as that pick and pop threat. I don't know if that's something they go for. Lauren, what do you think? God, it's it's interesting from each team's perspective because I think 
Indiana, I, I do think that they would be open to moving Miles Turner. I think this recently, like kind of just seeing what happened with that contract restructure and how things went, I think it does send the message that, hey, we're committed to this core. Miles Turner is a huge part of, of that core, their identity, everything. But I could absolutely see a point in which they decide to, well, maybe if this is an option, this is an opportunity to add a, a big time building block and go with a former number one overall pick. And so I could see them revisiting that. It's it's and I think for Phoenix from their perspective, for the for the reasons that we mentioned, he would be a perfect fit because not only would you have the kind of pick and pop and also even pick and roll threat to a degree, you would also yeah. still have this defensive anchor and not have to worry about replacing that as well or relying on Kevin Durant to to be this help side shot blocker from time to time. You would be able to have an anchor that you insert right into a winning system. Um so I like that that idea. I wonder if Phoenix is going to try and engage or, or or pursue options for some of these big name players who might this might be their time where they really ask out um and it kind of brings me back to the whole chris paul situation and how we've talked about that a little bit so i think that they need to identify who their realistic targets are because if they find themselves in a position where somebody comes available and they're going for the wrong target i think that they could potentially find themselves in another position where they've taken a step back or they're like well we're just going to run it back because we didn't land a Miles Turner or or we were shifting our attention to Damian Lillard who randomly came available and we thought that we could get him with a DeAndre Ayton based package which I do not think will work Um, that's where I come back to do not go for the wrong target because if you think that that's the right target that that's the beginning of the end well that may be dramatic but I wanted to touch on the Monty Williams thing real quick because I think changing too much could also when you have kind of a new situation with, with someone as big as Kevin Durant could present big problems. If you try to change too much, Mm -hmm. I wonder if they're going to say, well, this was, this was the Deandre Aiden issue. This was Chris Paul not being available. So we're going to run it back with Monty and just try and retool a little bit. I wonder where their head is at. And I think with what we've seen from Memphis and some of these teams that have been eliminated, we find out very quickly after they get eliminated, what the direction is. And I wonder if that will be the case with Phoenix. To be fair with Monty, uh, Kevin Durant, like a big reason why he always wanted to go to Phoenix was because of Monty, Monty Williams. Yeah. He has yeah. an affinity for playing with him or, or playing for him. So I could see that. I could see them saying, no, you know what? KD clearly emphasizes the fact that he wants to play with Monty. Let's keep him and then let's try to ship things, move things around that way. Um, the big issue with the Suns, I think what everybody has mentioned, yes, depth is a big issue. HV, you mentioned it earlier, but it's, it's really about guys who fit around these two as well. Benefit and and kind of complement, but also be able to supplement the things that they don't do well. You mentioned rim pressure earlier. Three-point shooting is another area where they need to grow and they need to emphasize. That's why you saw guys like Landry Shamit and Terrence Ross get run towards the end of the series. HV, I guess my question to you would be, what kind of a guard are you looking for now? Because we saw how different the Suns played without Chris Paul, the pace that they were playing at, the quickness they were looking for, right? Um, yeah, what kind of a guard are you looking for, I guess, in the summer, uh, if you're, if you're that team? And I mean, how, also like, how the hell are you going to figure out a way to get something out of Chris Paul? Like, what kind of value you get back for that, you know? Yeah, well, my first answer to what kind of guard is not Chris Paul. Like, the exact <laughs> opposite of what you get with Chris Paul, because Chris Paul at this point, we saw it, and I don't want to jump the gun, but this has kind of been an issue all season. He can't even punish drop coverage anymore because, yeah. He just doesn't have any legs. He He's not going to get to the rim. That's been a case for years. Now his mid-range jumpers are going short. 
Uh, he'll make some threes, but it's not like he's a consistent spacer. And then when yeah. you take him off the ball, he adds zero value besides maybe an extra pass because he can't slash. He's not yeah. really a great off-the-catch shooter. So for me, it's it's not Chris Paul. I think you need a guy who can set the table in that way that can get KD and Booker in their spots because both of them will like to set up at the elbow, get those isolations. They can both play off the catch. So you definitely want a guy who can still set the table, but it's also got to be a guy who can go off the ball and either hit the open three or make a play off the catch by attacking the rim, putting the defense into rotation. Um, I think idealized version of Spencer Dinwiddie kind of fits that, but uh, he's got some of his own issues, especially yeah. in that playoff series against Philly. But uh, just a guy like that, like some guy, some of the guys we've seen, like a uh, Jalen Brunson. I mean, that's mm-hmm. obviously a more yeah ex- star how, star how studded a, version. I'll ask you guys this because uh, th- I'm, you guys know I'm a I'm a coverer of the Toronto Raptors, and they have been mentioned uh, a good amount of times. You know, Fred Van Vliet was a guy that was mm-hmm. mentioned in rumors with the Suns. I don't necessarily think they're looking to do an Aiton deal because the Raptors now have their center with Yaka Pirtle, and I, I doubt after giving up a first round pick they'd be interested in doing a swap, but. How about Fred Van Vliet for the Suns? Man, I like Van Vliet. I think I think uh, I, I've been pretty high on him for a couple of years. I think specifically on the defensive end, for him to be able to impact it the way he does at that size, it's really unique and it's Chris Paul like, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, for for being an undersized guard, but just having like really good awareness and activity and just knowing the right rotations. Yeah, probably doesn't solve their rim pressure issue. I mean, definitely doesn't that's, solve their rim pressure issue. Um, that's the issue because I think yeah. Van Vliet brings some shooting, especially away from the ball. Yeah. And uh, he's a guy who, who can bring bigs to the level in the pick and roll because of that threat to shoot. But that's the one problem. He, he really can't finish or, or score yeah. in the paint. And I, I just don't know if that's what compounds the skills of Booker and Kevin Durant specifically. Yeah, and I, I just I wonder like because the Suns aren't in a situation where like beggars can't be choosers because of the fact that Aiton's value is at an all time low in my opinion just because of the salary. You look at the performance at the end of the playoffs, and then with Chris Paul, obviously at his age, you can maybe argue that the the partially guaranteed contract next season can be a bonus to a team if a team has a lot of cap space and they're willing to take that in that could be looked at as a way to fill in some rotation players. But but the Suns, in my opinion, if you're looking at Aiton trades and if you're looking at Chris Paul trades, they should be trying to do one for twos or one for threes, try to mm-hmm. get rotation players around them. For sure. And I've seen a couple of ideas here. Just going to throw them out to you guys, okay? First Ooh, one yes. um, is Aiton for Clint Capella and John Collins. What do you guys think of that? How, how far off am I? With that, by the way, because y'all know Collins has been mentioned in trade rumors for a really long time. Capella, you know, there might be a changing of the guard there with Onyeka Okongwu kind of developing into his own right, maybe being the starting center moving forward. What do y'all feel with that? How do y'all feel? I think it's interesting because for a while, even with this job, the changing of the guard is something that you you have been able to to sense out for a while. This didn't sneak up on anyone when you're looking at Atlanta. And even kind of going back to this last year, Jalen Johnson had a solid year for them and kind of took steps forward. So I absolutely think that there's a possibility in which we see a two for one. I actually thought that that could potentially be on the tr- on the table for Miles Turner. Um, mm. well, I think yeah. what it will come down to is how how much they value Clint Capella because it's clear that they they view John Collins as expendable and so how quickly do you feel you can compete and be at like as competitive where you see yourself in the Eastern Conference with DeAndre Ayton 
um, and Onyeko Kongwu maybe together. Is that something that you feel will work? And I, and I don't know how they feel about that quite yet, but sure. I'm with yeah. you that I think the answer for them will be a two for one situation. And I kind of, that's, I mean, we move, we moved on from it, but I think that that's where they might try to entertain with Toronto. I think they may try to open it up and think that they can get multiple players from Toronto with DeAndre Ayton. And I think that that's where they're going to find themselves Again, going for the wrong thing and the, missing out on everyone. Yeah, the Raptors ain't got depth either, man. That's <laughs> that's what they're dealing with. They got like seven players that they trust. So anyways, you know what? Uh, HV, sorry, go ahead. What do you think about the, the Hawks deal? Well, so you know how they say sometimes players, like the, the actualized idea of a player is way better than the product? Yeah, absolutely. That's how I felt about John Collins since like 2020. Like the skills this guy has, mm-hmm. I don't know. How many players – I actually thought about this. How many players in NBA history are both a vertical and three-point spacer? Yeah, Ever. there's not yeah. a lot. There's That's not a rare. lot. Yeah. That's rare. And and he's a guy who can put the ball on the deck. I think he's a pretty decent defender at this point. I mean, John Collins, I think, is a guy who can be weaponized in a very unique way. And I think yeah. – um, I, I actually am pretty high on his value Uh considerably higher than how people feel about him in Atlanta. I think the question mark here is Capella because as we've seen, we, we just saw the nuggets win the four on three game. Capella is yeah. not a guy who can make those reads. He can't really do anything. He's kind of like a discount go bear in a way. Yeah. yeah so no, it's he's like, he's like a rim runner. You get that vertical threat. Like you said with Collins, like that's the type of, maybe he can be your, he he can be your backline defender. Like For those sure. are the types of guys you're probably playing deep drop with a guy like Capella also. So like those are the types of things you're looking at with Capella. Um, the the thing I would wonder when it comes to that is is John because John Collins has been a shell of himself. For this season, a little bit of last season, but in the 2021 playoffs, he was awesome for the Hawks, like absolutely unreal. Uh, and I wonder if the, the Suns can tap into that a little bit. They were interested in him as well at the trade deadline. They were the rumors mentioned there about a potential swap. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious to see if they go that direction. I got another one for you guys, though, before we, we, we kind of talk about something else. Got another idea for you guys. All right. Uh, this was just brought up on Twitter. So I'm just curious to see what you guys think. How about a Boyan Bogdanovich? Uh, and then slew of Pistons rotation players. I don't know, and, and name which ones you guys like, and mixed for Aiton. That's that, that's like it would be like a three for one type of thing. Mm-hmm. And the Pistons now have every big man in the world that has been sal- yeah. <laughs> trying to be salvaged. So, what do you guys think about that one? I don't personally. I don't see it because I think the Pistons will have interest in Aiton because they they're they're kind of equipped to make these types of trades. Yep. But if I'm if I'm Phoenix, I'm not interested in a Killian Hayes, Isaiah Stewart, Boyan Bogdanovich, uh, and maybe even Alec Burks. I mean, that would solve, I think, when we're talking about getting guys and getting players, but I think when you're looking at Isaiah Stewart is who I think it would be, um, mm-hmm. and then even Killian Hayes. I, I just don't think that that's the direction that they need to go. I think that that yeah. would be a missed opportunity with, with someone like Aiden. It's also to be fair, getting the rotation players from the worst team. Yeah. The last and I like so. those guys. I love beef stew and Killian Hayes, but the timeline is t- to me not lining up at all. Fair enough. HV. Um, I mean, I, I, I question it from the piston side immediately because I think they have Jalen Duran who like is just amazing. He, he yeah. looks amazing. And I wonder if, now with Wiseman, we already saw Duran kind of like 
I don't want to say taking a back seat, but they kind of like moved him back to try and give Wiseman reps. I think with Aiton there, that makes it even weirder because Aiton's the automatic starter right mm-hmm. away. Um, he's not going to come off the bench. And Absolutely I think yeah. I think that's weird because he kind of still does fit the timeline. People forget that Aiton's still really young. Yeah. Like, this is this is a new guy. And uh, I think he kind of fits the timeline, but it's just weird because of how many centers they already have. Yeah. And then, like Lauren said, on the on the Sun side, I just don't think it fits the timeline because you don't know how much Kevin Durant you're going to get. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised yeah, if he's a huge part of it. I yeah. wouldn't be surprised if he's an All NBA player at age 46, but you never know, <laughs> especially with the injury history. So I it's, think uh, just timeline wise, that one's questionable. It's it's funny because I think you know doing this thought exercise, I've sort of come to a conclusion that the Suns have a really really difficult task ahead of them this summer. You're trying to thread a very very thin needle. In, in the sense that, look, Book and KD are all NBA caliber players, superstar level players who can ignite you and kind of lift you up in the playoffs. We've seen that even even in their elimination. We saw how Book was incredible and kind of salvaged this series for the Nuggets. They are capable of doing this. Now it's about building that roster around them. And I think because of the limitations they have flexibility wise, money wise, draft pick wise, it's going to be really, really hard for this team to figure it out. Is it impossible? No, I don't think it's impossible. And I think a lot of people are overselling how hard it's going to be to trade a DeAndre Ayton. I think there's mm-hmm. people, there's teams that are going to be interested in him. I bet you there are teams, especially like the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, hey, we never know. Look, the I know the Kyrie situation has been mentioned a bunch, but like, hey, you never know. I kind of wanted to get HD's opinion on that. How sure. crazy does that? Because we t- we've talked about this, but I think maybe a lot of people could have different opinions on it. So do you think there's any world in which they try and get a Kyrie for De- DeAndre Ayton swap? So before before you jump in, I actually got a bit of clarification on that. Mm-hmm. Cap-wise, the Suns would not be able to do that unless Kyrie settles for a significant amount less money-wise or they package Ayton and Chris Paul and move him for Kyrie. So it would be, yeah, it would, oh, be, a, God, it, it would be a situation the other way. So yes, HV, go on, answer it. But that's what they're kind of okay. looking at here. Glad you added that caveat. My, my thing with the, with the Kyrie thing is like, at what point do we start to acknowledge the, cause I feel like there's already some diminishing returns going on there. <laughs> Kyrie yeah. is like the, the ultimate player. I can even think of that would just be like, Diminishing return on on diminishing return. Mm-hmm. I think Kyrie's an incredible player. I think he fits next to stars extremely well. We've seen that throughout his career. But specifically with Phoenix, I I have a hard time seeing that fit actualize unless you have like just an absolutely incredible defense. And that's already starting with three guys mm-hmm. who I think Kevin Durant's a pretty good defender. I think Booker's improved, but like no real like strong strong all defensive level of guy. You would need an insane back line to make that work in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree with you guys. There. I agree with you guys. We'll see what happens. I, I also, my, my, uh, my very, very like, not even a hot take is that I want Russ on the Suns because Russ is like the point guard that would make sense <laughs> so much. And it's crazy to say, because we're talking about Russell Westbrook, but he was awesome in that Clipper series. He was awesome for the Clippers yeah. down the stretch. And he provides exactly what they need. A guy who can play at breakneck speed, push the pace, he can apply pressure to the rim. Yeah, the turnover stuff and all that stuff is – the Russell Westbrook stuff is always going to be there. But in terms of an ideal 
guard to pair next to those two, I mean, there's not. Especially and, and the a guy, price point. Especially yeah. uh, in terms of affordability, it's kind of something that makes sense. So I don't know. We'll see. Ladies and gentlemen, the, the offseason talk is something we can talk about for a very, very long time. But look, it is playoff time. Get in the game and make your next bet with Sports Interaction. Bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite team matchups. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN or download the app to get started. 19 plus, please play responsibly. Okay, so we've got the the Sun situation out of the way. We will see what happens in the summer. We will see what happens in the offseason. Uh, they have a lot of work to do, to say the least. The Denver Nuggets, on the other hand, are headed to the Western Conference Finals, and I think they deserve their own credit for what they did to the Suns in this series. I mean, the two-man connection with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray was special. Uh, there was a lot of great defensive moments from that team, although the Suns made it easy on them because of the fact that, hey, like if you load up on Book, if you load up on KD, it's going to be very, very easy for those guys to you know, get stops against those complimentary players. So I don't know. I think, I think I'm, I'm impressed with the nuggets. We'll see how the Lakers warriors series shakes out. Um, Lauren, by the way, I, I think that Corgi might be right. I think that Corgi might be spitting facts. We'll see what happens if the, if the dog ends up being right and the warriors push to seven and win it, who knows? Um, but in a potential nuggets versus Lakers or warriors, whichever one, you guys think, who do you favor? You favor the Nuggets, who have been the honestly probably the best team in the West uh, playoffs and the best team in the West in general, or do you favor the more experienced Lakers and Warriors? HV, we'll go with you first. Man, I don't know if you've seen me running my victory laps on the timeline. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been I've been on the Nuggets train since the bubble. Like I've been pushing this especially the Jokic, the Jokic stuff. I've been like, this is a generational talent. They are going to build a great team around him. Everyone is pretty much within like two years of the same age. Like this is a team to look out for for years. And in their first healthy run, they're like a buzzsaw. They're they're yeah. just moving through these teams. They lost two close ones in Phoenix. They lost a nail biter to Minnesota. But besides that, they've been like comfortably winning these games and going through different types of coverages and they pretty much have a counter for everything it seems like yeah and i think against the warriors you kind of run into some defensive issues because they're the the only team left that can bring Jokic 30 feet out and make the team scramble every play that's the only team left that can really do that and i think that's their kind of kryptonite on defense yeah. and the lakers specifically i think we'll see a lot more Jokic and drop because the lakers don't really have the the pull-up shooting um the pull-up shooting and the types of like the Lakers don't have Steph Curry essentially. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. <laughs> that's yeah, that's yeah. what it comes down to. And I think, uh, in, I, so I think warriors cause more problems for the nuggets defensively, but offensively, I mean, Anthony Davis can, man, I can talk about Anthony yeah. Davis for six hours, but that yeah. guy is going to protect the rim. It'll be interesting to see how the nuggets counter that. If they pull Jokic above the top of the key to try and get AD out. Cause AD's going to have to guard Jokic. So mm -hmm. if they can pull AD out of the paint, make him uncomfortable. Ultimately, I, I favor the Nuggets over both of these teams, but it's not like an easy choice. I think both of them have pathways to taking the Nuggets out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm I'm in a similar uh, similar position. I think I'm, I'm more – I don't want to even say fearful because I also favor the Nuggets in both of these matchups, but I, I have more concern with – um, the Warriors. I think that they can find ways to get more out of their 
I don't, I utility guys, let's say utility guys, uh, to, to kind of maybe counter, counter some of what Denver throws at them. And, and, but what I've seen from Denver, like you mentioned, how just steady they've been. We, t- we have talked on here about, I don't really worry about a Contavious Caldwell Pope, a Bruce Brown doing their job. Even Jeff Green with what we're seeing from Jeff Green, Christian Brown, these guys are just, they're stepping up and they're ready. And so on the flip side with, with, the Lakers more so than the Warriors. I have concern about their guys, some of those utility guys stepping up consistently enough. And so to me, even though this Warriors team is still a very dangerous team, I feel like Denver is just more prepared for this moment and they're they're more consistent and solid. And I think those that is going to be what ultimately carries them past either team. Okay, so I agree with you guys. I think Denver is the favorite in both of these series, but I have it a little bit different. I actually think Denver would be more favored against the Warriors than I think the Lakers. I agree that the pull-up shooting is going to be a huge factor with the Warriors, especially with Steph. You're drawing him out. I mean, it's sort of the same thing the the Warriors are trying to do the Lakers right now with Anthony Davis, except Anthony Davis is 10 times, 100 times the defender that Nikola Jokic is. So yeah, that could cause an array of problems. The other aspect is both the Warriors and the Lakers like to play fast. They like to play with a lot of space. And yes, the, no, the, 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 the what am I saying? The Nuggets can do that as well. But I just think there's an advantage there when it comes to the size factor of the Lakers. The Nuggets are huge, too. I mean, when you look at their front court, you have MPJ, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. That is a big front court. But the Lakers, when you look at LeBron James, when you look at guy, even guys like Rui Hachimura, uh, they have a certain amount of size and length in that front court that I think can bother what the Nuggets do offensively. Uh, that's that's mostly what I'm at here. I think I think what the Nuggets sorry, what the Lakers can do defensively to this Nuggets team is a little bit more poignant than what the Warriors defensively can do to this Nuggets team. I think the Warriors will struggle a little bit more. I know Draymond Green has historically been pretty successful in guarding Nikola Jokic and and making things tough on him, but I just think the Lakers can do more defensively against the Nuggets offense. And that's what it comes down to is how are you going to slow down the Nuggets offense? Um, And I think that's where I would say the Lakers have a little bit more of an advantage, but that being said, yes, I favor the, the Nuggets in both of those series. And it's crazy to say because I think, hey, we might be looking at their first ever finals berth. They've never made it to the NBA finals. And it's it's very cool. Uh, you know, HV, you kind of mentioned the history of that this team and like this core. But every time they've been healthy, conference finals or a couple of buckets away from the conference finals. In 2019, they almost faced the Warriors in the conference finals if it weren't for a couple of crazy that game seven with the Blazers, you can go watch the highlights. It was really just like a back and forth affair, amazing basketball game. Um, so yeah, they could have been, th- this is how successful this team is. They are this good. They are worthy of the the praise and everything that we've kind of said about them. There's been so much skepticism around this Nuggets team, especially this season. A lot of people have to kind of see it to believe it. And we're seeing that we are seeing this team in, kind of actualization, realization, if you will, that this is, they're legit, man. They're legit. That's the only thing I would say about this Nuggets team. Okay, cool. We will do our Let's Be Idiots segment in a little bit, Lauren. Uh, you know that, mm-hmm. HV, you'll you'll learn in a second. But I want to talk about the all-NBA teams that came out. I'll just quickly go ahead and, and uh, list out the teams. And then afterwards, if you guys have any issues, any discrepancies, if you will, then we'll discuss them, okay? 
Uh, first team All NBA, we have Luka Doncic, Shea Gilders Alexander, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the MVP Joel Embiid. Second team: Steph Curry, Donovan Mitchell, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brown, and Nikola Jokic. Third team: De'Aaron Fox, Damian Lillard, LeBron James, Julius Randle, and Demontis Sabonis. So, um, personally, I'm not. Like, I, I don't hate anybody on that list. I think everybody mm-hmm. is like, it, it makes sense. I could see it. Yes, I understand. The only player that I think a lot of people have been contentious about has been Julius Randle. Uh, and I think it's fair to be contentious about a player like Julius Randle because of what, I mean, yes, Randle has been awesome. He's had a bounce back season. He was great this year. The Knicks were great this year. Although I think Randall gets too much of the credit in that department a little bit. I think more of that should be towards Jalen Brunson and how he's revitalized this next team. But I think that's the one that I would say, I don't know about that one. You know, I, I think there were some better options out there. Some other guys that could get consideration. Lowry Markkinen is a guy that I think we talked about when we were discussing our all NBA teams. Pascal Siakam, another guy that, you know, some people would mention in that conversation. I understand the, the record and them not playing well, et cetera, et cetera. But a guy who should have got consideration at the very least. Where do you guys sit? Is is there another discrepancy or is it is it just Randall that we're talking about here? HV, I'll let you go first. Man, uh, yeah, Randall for me was just I I, I don't want to like dog on Randall because he is a great player. But it's like yeah. the, when I saw that, my first reaction was, all right, man. Like I can probably think of six guys that I would have preferred over Randall. And yeah. it's like, like, like I said, Randall had a had a good season. He had a pretty hefty box score. He played. I, I think he played almost every game. Yeah, he only missed the five at the end because of the ankle injury. Yeah, yeah, so he he put together a good total season. But yeah, for me, it's just I think. He, uh, when guys look at a team like the Knicks who kind of overperformed their expectations, they see mm-hmm. a guy putting up a large box score. And the first thought is, Oh, this guy's got to be driving the engine. Like this is right. the guy, this is why they're so good. And I think it's almost everything else that makes them so good. Their depth, their, their strategy with the offensive rebounding, uh, having guys who can play both ends of the floor to just fill out the roster. Jalen Brunson being an isolation God. It's yeah. just, I, I think there's a lot of stuff there. And I think I personally would have rather seen Siakam, uh, Lowry Markkinen. I, I understand the games played thing with Kawhi and KD, but uh, I think either of them probably I would have taken over Randall. Anthony Davis, I don't know how the position works on that because he's a center. But Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, think, think, I think he was classified as a center with the voting that I saw. So he which, was competing with DeMontis and yeah. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Jokic was considered as a forward and a center. Right, yeah. and he got votes yeah. for a little bit, so I'm a little concerned as why that wasn't the case for AD because yeah. right or wrong. I mean, well, that- like, yeah, yes. I, I mean, to be fair to AD, he played his most amount of minutes at center ever in his career this season. So Same with I think- Jokic, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's I, why I'm kind of like I think stuff like that, which obviously we're addressing this issue moving forward, starting next year, but yeah. that I think plays somewhat of a significant part and how this how this looked because as i'm looking at the ballots right now i'm counting the guys that i would have put in there over julius randall and i think there's even a case that i would personally buy into of Kawhi being in there even with the games played yeah um yeah. so yeah that's probably the, the the only one that i have the most to gripe about i'm not really on the whole trey young when you're looking at the other guys that got in there i can't really get get behind the trey young one well there's also that there's like 
some of the guard eligibility and forward eligibility. So like Jalen Brown got eligibility as a forward yet. I would say he plays more of a guard. Mm -hmm. I I think at least like, yeah, he's a guard. You know what I mean? And I get, I get there's a little bit of a distinction there. You know, he's a two way player. So yeah, he's going to guard some threes. He's going to guard your occasion. He switches a bunch on defense. So there's, there's that implication that he can play forward as well, but he plays guard from the majority of his time when he's on the floor. Um, I think when we move to positionless, positionless basketball, all NBA voting wise, it'll be easier, but it also makes it so that these distinctions, it, it, it'll be difficult to find a, a, a kind of hard line, a through line as to like which yeah. way we're going to go with this voting. Uh, I just wanted to mention Jalen Brunson, by the way. Uh, you mentioned like he is the, the swing factor for this team. And I completely agree. I mean, look, this year, this season, in the playoffs, Jalen Brunson plus nineteen point one uh, on off differential. Everybody else is like way lower than that. Emmanuel quickly is the next best player on off wise, and he's plus six point five. It's just it goes to show you that like his impact is clearly what is driving this Knicks team, and it's it's been it's been like that all season. It his his the way he's scoring in isolation, the way he's able to break guys down off the dribble, the way he's able to create shots for his teammates because he's such a potent scorer. Uh, I think it goes like that. It Brunson not getting any credit for this season is going to look insane in mm-hmm. hindsight moving it forward is. because he didn't get listed as an all-star. He didn't get listed as an all-NBA player. And quite frankly, I, d- I don't think because of the stacked guard list, it would have made sense for him to be an all-NBA player. But the fact that he's getting nothing out of this season is going to be wild. It, it kind of reminds me of of the good old Kyle Lowry days in the Toronto Raptors. But um, <laughs> any other discrepancies? I saw some people saying that, you know, the fact that the first team guards weren't playoff players uh, <laughs> was an issue. I saw some people being mad at that. I, I don't necessarily see that. I think SGA was very, very clearly, like, a lock for first team all all NBA. I mean, he was fifth in MVP voting. What do you expect? I, I think it was very, very clear that the man was one of the best guards in the entire NBA, if not the best guard in the entire NBA all season. Um, I, I I could hear arguments for Don over Luca. I could hear it. That's the only one I could hear because hey, if you look at the impact, what he did to this Cavaliers team this season, the way he propelled them, he did play like an MVP to start this year. Uh, I could hear the arguments for Don over Luca. That's the, it's funny because they're both Dons, you know, but uh, I, I could hear the argument for that. Anything yeah. else? Do you guys, do you guys feel the same way? Do you guys agree with the Twitter folks that, you know, playoffs should be, should be considered here or no? Um, HB, I mean, I'll let you, uh, wait, actually, you know what, Lauren, <laughs> you, you're the, you're the Luca Doncic <laughs> aficionado here. How do you feel? God, I, it's hard because like in the MVP voting, I'm like, if your team's not winning, you can't be the MVP. And so, but at the same time, it's like, well, I don't know. It's, there is a little bit of a, of a double. I, I, I would admit that. So I would, I would be open to the conversation of, of Donovan Mitchell over Luca, but I just, the numbers that Luca puts up are so unbelievable. So in my, in my mind, you can't have, you can't have Shea in there and not have Luca in there. If you're, if you're going to be looking at Mm -hmm. the numbers and the dominance, you can't not have Luca in there. Yeah, fair enough. HV, what about you, man? I, I I don't have a problem with it at all. I think uh, one of my big things has always been evaluating the individual separate from the team. Uh, obviously, the team influences the individual, but in terms of like 
And also, I think the end of the season is so fresh in people's mind that they forget about the rest of it a lot of the time. Like, yeah. there was a, I want to say, three, four-month stretch where Luka was having one of the best offensive seasons I've ever seen. Like, this guy was doing everything. He he was doing it efficiently. And, yeah. like, I don't think the end of the season, them, them failing to make the playoffs should really uh, alter that way that yeah. yeah yeah and i think i think also yeah. i want it, to it's kind of the same thing same line of thinking uh damian lillard i have to give a shout out to because if they didn't shut him down and tank the rest of the season he probably would have made the first team like this yeah. guy was having i don't remember the n- numbers off the top of my head but it was like 31 points and eight assists a game shooting like 40 percent from three he had like i think he he only steph or maybe clay thompson made more threes per game in nba history than dame did this season like he had an insane offensive season and the Blazers were rolling at one point. Yeah. And uh, I just, I think a lot of people tend to uh, overly s- focus on the end of the season because of how fresh that is in everyone's mind. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's what's influencing the Luca SGA yeah. game, those types of guys getting pushed back. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, and real quick, I should add, I should have said this, but I should also add, there was a point in time where the Mavs were fourth in the West. Yeah. And then they kind of saw the writing on the wall. The thing happens with Kyrie or the, the Kyrie trade happens. And then they kind of see the writing on the wall. Things slip. They decide to tank, miss the playoffs. But mm-hmm. there was, I mean, there was, there was a time when the numbers were there. They were there in the standings and then it just slipped. And so I, I don't think you can place all that blame on Luca, but. I'm we'll a little see. biased. So. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm very interested to see how next season's All NBA goes because of the positionless change and because of the game requirements now. Because it it, it is going to change how things look uh, moving forward. Want to talk about the playoffs though? Since we talked about All NBA, real quick, we still have a couple games ahead of us. The Sixers ended up losing Game Six. Uh, despite a, a pretty abhorrent shooting night from Jason Tatum, special fourth quarter, but a bad first three quarters for Jason Tatum. Uh, Celtics weren't, Sixers weren't able to close it out. I don't know what is going on with me today. Sixers weren't able to close it out uh, and they forced a game seven. So now it's going to be game seven Celtics Sixers in Boston. What, l- this is our segment, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, let's be idiots because the next time you talk to us, we will have seen what the thing happens here and we will look like idiots for our predictions. Where are you guys leaning in terms of Celtics Sixers game seven, HV, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go first. Actually, um, I, I, I want to say when the series started, I kind of didn't give Philly a chance. I very Fair. confidently picked Boston. I, I am on record saying I don't think Philly really has a chance in this series. And I think through six games, I still feel pretty comfortable in saying that the Celtics have been the noticeably better team. Like they're just losing some close games. Like yeah. that's really all it comes down to. The Sixers are closing better. But in the overall series, the Celtics are a plus seven net rating. When they go on these runs, they look pretty unbeatable. And I, I think a game seven in Boston, it kind of fell together perfectly. They just survived a, a kind of atrocious game in game six. That was kind of, I don't even know if that was basketball. But uh, <laughs> yeah. it was, they, they survived that. They made it to seven. And I think they'll be able to eke it out just enough because I do think Jet. Generally, a game seven goes to who I feel is the better team. I think that's like kind of mm-hmm. when everything's mm-hmm. been figured out, all of the adjustments have been made. You know what you're doing on both ends of the floor. The better team's going to win the basketball game. And to me, that's comfortably the Boston Celtics. If they lose, I will definitely look stupid. <laughs> but, that's why That's but, why this that's segment why. is called. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that 
the Celtics can win this game, I think Jason Tatum will probably play a little bit better as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of lean that way as well. I think Philly, the momentum got away from them. And I think they they had their I think they had the opportunity to to get it done, but I that think was a shot. It, it it I think it has slipped away. I think you're going back to Boston. I just just uh just like we just talked about, Jason Tatum is going to have a better game. You can't expect that every night to him for him to shoot poorly and you to not be able to maximize that. You those chances do not come. And so mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, I don't feel like it's looking good for Philly. And I, I, I will say last time we did this, our first segment, my, we look, my predictions were pretty good. Yeah. You, but you this were good. time, yeah. I, and I felt so unsure about them, but this time I don't, I just, I don't feel like it's in the, it's in the, it's in the books for, for Philly. I'm not feeling too confident there. So for podcast reasons, I would love to disagree, but I, I agree <laughs> with you guys. I, I think it's, it's, that was Philly's chance. Game six was the opportunity for Philly to close it out. It was their most, it was one of the most important games in, in the franchise in over 20 years. That's how important that game was. Um, and I just, you look back at the mistakes they had, the way that their offense completely shut down in that fourth quarter. Um, it felt like, you know, HV, you mentioned that like the Sixers are closing out these close games, but also, I've noticed in game four, despite despite the heroics, despite the heroics, there were some crazy offensive lapses, some really, really timidness and just like indecisiveness from Joel Embiid in the fourth quarter, in overtime, not looking for a shot, not being aggressive enough. I think that same thing kind of looked the same way with James Harden, although he got downhill, he made that shot. It was big. It was great. But I, I think there is a little bit of indecisiveness from this Sixers team down the down the stretch of games in clutch time. And game six, that's sort of what happened. You saw this team wither away when Boston was trying to make that comeback, when Boston was fighting back. It was, I believe it was like a 12 or 14 point game heading into the fourth quarter. I can't remember. And then you saw Boston just tack on three after three, and you're like, oh, here you go. This is this is really when things are going to shut down for Philly. I just am not sure if that type of team going into the garden uh is able to is able to to be one the shot making offensive dominant team that they've been all season in that game seven. And then on top of that, I think defensively what the Celtics did with changing the starting lineup and adding Robert Williams in has really thrown a wrench in what the Sixers can do offensively because they're just leaving PJ Tucker and they've been doing that all season, uh, all series. And now it's just, how is Doc Rivers going to adjust? I don't think Doc Rivers is going to adjust. I think he's going to roll with the same punches that he's been doing. He's going to keep the same starting lineup. And I think inevitably that is a mistake, but that's what Doc is going to do. He's going to stick with his guys. Uh, So yeah. I agree with you guys. Boston is probably going to win this series. They're going to head to the Eastern Conference Finals where they may face either the Knicks or the Heat. They play tonight. This is our Let's Be Idiot segment in full throttle because, hey, it's tonight. You probably already know the results of this when you were listening to this podcast. Where where do we lean here? Do we think the Knicks tie it up in 4-7? Or are we are we saying this is this is it for, for Knicks Nation? Lauren, I'll start with you first. I have to stick with where I said the last time we were we were looking at this series. Yeah. I think Miami, when I said last time we talked about this, I said they're going to play 
in New York, Madison Square Garden, I think the Knicks are going to have the power to 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 extend this one. But then going back to Miami, I think is when Miami will seal the deal, and I'm sticking with that. Okay, cool. HV, yeah, to me, this is a ser- uh, a series of who's got the better process, and that's been the Heat in all all five games. All five games, I think they've been the better the better basketball playing team. I think the Heat, uh, they they had that ridiculous shooting luck against Milwaukee. They've uh, mm-hmm. fallen off a cliff in this New York series. They're like just not making open threes. And I, I think yeah. some of that is that they don't have insane shooting talent, but uh, they, man, the, the open threes that they're creating in a series that's pretty defensively slanted. Um, I just think at, at home, the role players are going to start making those shots, close it out. I, I think the heat just are, are just going to have their best offensive game of the series. Probably uh, this feels pretty easily Miami to me. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think, um, it's tough to see that Jalen Brunson had to play 48 minutes and Quinton Grimes had to play 48 minutes and guard Jimmy Butler uh, for as long as he did in order for the Knicks to have a chance in that game. Uh, I agree with you that some of the shooting was was abhorrent. I think a guy like Kyle Lowry will play better at home. Uh, he probably has a better performance at home. He's played better at home pretty much this entire series. Um, and I think... When it comes to what they get, I mean, the big thing is going to be what they get from Julius Randle, man, uh, and and what kind of Julius Randle shows up. It's funny we were talking about the All NBAs, but I just think the the level of aggression that he played with in Game Five, and then also the the, le- the him being able to score in the isolation against Bam is going to be a huge thing. And I just don't know if I trust that enough, uh, especially in Miami. So yes, I'm going to go with the Heat. They are going to finish off this series now. So look, we talked about it a little bit with Lakers Warriors, but where do you guys lean tonight? Do the Warriors end up forcing game seven? We are continuing with this. Let's be idiots segment because people will know what the results are, but do the Warriors finish this series actually force this series into a game seven or do the Lakers finish this series tonight? HV, I'll go with you first, man. The Lakers have been, my like biggest enemy all playoffs. I had Memphis <laughs> in the Western Conference Finals. The Lakers come out in Game One, and I'm like, okay, the, the Grizzlies are not making the Western Conference Finals. Um, <laughs> the Lakers, uh, Anthony Davis is like at his peak peak of his powers defensively right now. The offense is a little bit inconsistent. Um, man, the Lakers just look really good, and yeah. I love how the Warriors are playing this sort of like chess match, like. I saw a graphic this morning that was like AD's where AD is standing on the court. I'll have to send this to you on Twitter. Where AD is standing on the court uh, when the Warriors shoot a, or score, and mm-hmm. it was like in Game Three, the game the Lakers dominated. AD was in the paint in for like every single shot, and in the most recent games, like AD's all over the court, They're, and that's yeah. what the Warriors are trying to do. They're trying to like, all right, if we can get AD away from the paint, we can actually score the ball. So yeah. they're doing everything they can to make that happen. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Darvin Ham and his staff adjust to that to keep AD at the paint as much as possible because there probably are ways to do it considering the Warriors aren't putting four spacers on the floor at all times. So that that's a tough one for me. I have been picking against the Lakers. I picked against them in Memphis. Picked against them this series. I had Warriors in six. I'm not picking against them tonight. I think the Lakers close it out in six right here. Yeah, I'm also kind of in the same boat that I do think the Lakers close it out tonight. I felt 
last when we last discussed this and we're looking at Miami and then this series, I felt like, okay, it's going to get extended one more. And then when they get back on their home floor, the team that's that's had the momentum is going to, to close it out. And I, I still feel that way with this series. But I also agree with as with what you said the last time we recorded that if any team can push it, it's the Warriors. So yeah. I won't be surprised if the Warriors pull it out, but I do feel like the Lakers, they're ready to to eliminate the 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 Warriors and and maximize on their home floor and carry that momentum moving forward into the next series. Okay, so I finally disagree with y'all. All right. So nice. I, I think the Warriors push seven, uh, and I think they probably win in seven. I'm gonna sound like an idiot if this doesn't happen. <laughs> I understand that. That's why this segment is called Let's Be Idiots, because yeah, the hey. Whatever, I'm taking a risk here. The reason I say that is because, look, when the series started out, the Lakers had the clear advantage when it came to Anthony Davis. They they set the precedent first. They said, we are going to play this way, and we are going to ask you to adjust to us. Now, the Warriors did. They adjusted in multiple different ways. They adjusted by playing a Jamichael Green. They adjusted by starting a Gary Payton Jr. They're trying to very slowly draw Anthony Davis into these actions, make it harder on him. You mentioned the AV, H, AV, HV, uh, but like being able to kind of put him in different spots of the floor and forcing him to play not near the rim, but be able to go all around. That is the huge, huge advantage that the Warriors have created for themselves. Now, the other thing is in the second half, and, and I would say a good chunk of the first half of game five, the Lakers just decided, hey, we're going to switch. So the Lakers decided to switch. And I, and I think that honestly spells trouble for the Lakers because they're just, they're playing right into the hands of the Warriors. And I think AD is capable. He's a very, very capable defender. He's a mobile defender for his size. He can be a big that switches. But when you're asking him to do that 48 minutes a row in a row, and also when you're, when you're consistently drawing him out of the paint, you're creating those advantages at the rim. And when I said at the start of the episode, one of the big reasons the Warriors created an advantage for themselves in that Kings Warriors series was the fact that they got to the rim, that they they were able to finish around the basket, especially Steph Curry. And when you're drawing AD out like that, when you're saying, hey, we'll switch everything, you're making it easier on the Warriors. The Lakers started out this series with the advantage. I think now the advantage is in the Warriors' hands. That being said, I would not be surprised if the Lakers win this game and finish this series right now. I also wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers, uh, you know, the Warriors 4-7 and the Lakers end up winning in seven. Because at the same time, as I say that the Warriors have created this advantage for themselves, there are ways the Lakers can counter back, can make it so that it's a lot difficult on them. And they just need one. They really just need one to, to finish this series. So we'll see what happens. Before we head out, HV, anything you want to mention? Playoff-wise, anything you want to add, analysis-wise, whatever you want to do. And also, if you want to plug yourself, man, if, if there's anything you've got going on that you want to add in there. So go for it, man. Uh, I was just going to bounce off that Lakers thing one more time real quick. I think a lot of these last two games depends on what LeBron James you get. I think, are you going to get LeBron James, the off-ball, ram-cut, touching the paint, spraying yeah. shooters, or are you going to get LeBron James come off a screen, shoot a 30-footer, one for nine from three? I right. think uh, – I think that's that's going to be a big question for the Lakers, what LeBron James you get, and then obviously how they keep Anthony Davis near the paint because when Anthony Davis is in the paint, the Warriors cannot do anything. Even Steph Curry, like, he, he one of his he, biggest strengths is, like, his ability to scoop layups over the top of rim protectors and avoid them. That's not happening with AD, yeah. and it's just, yeah. So, ultimately, I got Nuggets and Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. Okay. Nuggets taking that. Celtics and Heat, I think the Celtics are taking that. 
And yep. uh, my original, this was my original finals pick, Nuggets and Celtics. I had Celtics winning in six. Mm-hmm. I'm going Nuggets in six. I'm going. Ooh, I think switching I think, it. I think the okay. Nuggets. I think the Nuggets got the advantage. Now I think they've proven to be, in my opinion, so far the best team in these playoffs. Nice. Um, and so I'm ultimately riding with uh, the Nuggets in six, winning their first championship. And uh, to plug, I mean, all I all I got to really plug is my YouTube hoop venue. I do film breakdowns, player analysis, team analysis, a lot of skill analysis, and uh, so oh, you yeah. can find me on there. Upload pretty consistently. That's about it, though. Yeah. Look, uh, for the people who don't know, for the people who uh, may not be aware of HV's work, seriously, does some really, really great stuff on his YouTube channel. Uh, he's a great follow on Twitter as well, at KG's Goat, if you guys want to go ahead and check him out. But uh, yeah, he does great work, man. YouTube-wise, he is killing it when it comes to these film breakdowns. Really, really gives Appreciate an in-depth that. look at things, man. Um, okay, cool. I think we're done. I think we can call it a day here, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you guys tapping in to the objective basketball podcast from Lauren and I. HV, we appreciate you as well. Uh, please take care. Have a good weekend. We will see you guys on Monday to talk about whether we were idiots when it comes to these predictions or not. So take care. Have a good one. Follow house at just S Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren gun on Twitter. The objective basketball podcast delivering the NBA to you like no other.